Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Today we'll talk a little bit about who I am, where I come from, why I'm doing this. But first I want to talk a little bit about Growing Up Fire. And so for me, I wasn't born into a, a fire family. I started off when I was 18 years old, kind of worked through 30 years of being on the fire department. We'll go through a lot of that today. Got to see some stuff, do some stuff. But really, growing up fire is for firefighters, firefighter families, friends of firefighters. It's really all about taking care of each other. So I'm going to start with a little bit about who I am and kind of my career and what happened. And we'll bring in the pieces about growing up fire. Really looking forward to doing a bunch of interviews. Met some incredible people through the time, my time in the fire service. Got to do some incredible things, so super happy to share that with you and, and let you know kind of what's going on. I'm One of the biggest things I'm looking forward to is interacting with you. So we'll get on social media and we'll actually get to interact, talk about growing up fire, what that means, where we're going with it, and you get to be part of the show. So who I am, Jamie Coots, small town fire chief, started at the bottom and worked my way up. But really, my family history is somewhat fire. Uh, I had a grandfather that was a fire chief in a small town in Manitoba. And my grandfather and my grandmother started an ambulance in that same small town when there was no ambulance services. So kind of grew up hearing these crazy stories about what they had to do to scoop people up and get them to the hospital. And when I say small town, it's like they ran the bus, the service station, the ambulance, and got to be the fire chief at the same time. So to me, it was exciting exhilarating even to have these people in my family and hear all about it my folks weren't firefighters it kind of skipped that generation before it get to, got to me but then as you continue to listen to this podcast you'll see that it certainly didn't skip anymore so you know my whole family there's four of us we're we're all in the fire business emergency services world and my grandson he's getting started already he's only three so we're from fire we grew up thinking about it hearing about it and now as the generations go by it's kind of all they get immersed in so for me what made me want to be a firefighter my mom will be the first one to tell you that i was playing with my hot wheel cars the fire trucks were my favorite followed by the police cars followed by the ambulance kind of go from there so i think a life of service maybe was destined for me i like being around people i like interacting with people i love helping people so i think it was all part of that but I can kind of go back to one story, and this is part of my growing up fire story, is uh, I'm about 10 years old. I'm in Creston, BC with my dad, and we decide we got to stop and fill the car up with gas. And so I'm sitting in the car. He's filling it up. All of a sudden, I see he's talking with somebody by the gas pump. So, you know, I jump out kind of nosy. 10-year-old want to hear what's going on. There's this guy there, I'd say 75, 80 years old, and uh, they're just kind of chatting respectfully like you would at the gas pumps the guy goes down goes down like a ton of bricks hits his head on the island that the gas pumps are on and he's uh, having a seizure he's he's shaking and i'm 10 years old i've never seen anything like this i've never talked about this you know it wasn't even something you really saw on tv yet at 10 years old and i have no doubt in my mind that it was one of the most freaked out days of my life I could see the mad scramble. I could see that no one really knew what to do. There was the call the ambulance, but this is before 911. It's not our town. We're at a gas station. So the people that own the gas station are doing that. Everyone else is trying to protect his head and take care of him and, you know, see if he's breathing, see if he's alive. Some things that people can think of, I guess. 
But I, I was just standing there staring at the whole scene. You know, it really freaked me out. At 10 years old, we we didn't talk about it. We didn't, my dad and I didn't really hash it out later. To this day, we never really talk about it. But for me, I know as I was thinking of this show and, and what growing up fire meant to me, that was a story that came back to me. And I thought it kind of drives me. And I know that I'm thinking of that story today when I talk to firefighters and I say, why do you want to join up? We want to help people. We want the camaraderie. We want to be part of the fire family. All of those things are important and drive us. But I also say, like, do you want to be the person that's standing there that knows what to do and can do something? Or do you want to be the person that can only call for help? And so maybe that's not a fair analogy, but to me, that's what it's about, right? I want to have the background. I want to have the knowledge. I want to be the person that no matter how bad it gets, I know there's something I can do, something I can pitch in to help with, something that I can think of that will help the situation. And I peel that all back to that fateful day when I was 10 years old when we're filling up with gas. Kind of fast forward through my life now, I get up into junior high school and they run this crazy course in our town. It was kind of like a one-year only thing and it was called emergency services. And so these two beauties, Roland Mandow, Steve Bear, were running this thing. They got some staff from the ambulance together that were awesome and a shout out to Barb for sure. And they just took us through first aid. So I'm in grade nine, I'm going through first aid, I'm learning how to do this stuff. I'm thinking back to my experience. They're teaching us about fire trucks and ambulances and police cars and all the things to go with it. And I think at that point, I'm basically hooked. I can't imagine a life without this. So we kind of cruise through that year, get to the end, and then they do a live exercise. And so this live exercise is a big car accident uh, outside of town on a bridge. I end up being a patient in the field. And it, it was so live and so real and so awesome that they end up bringing out a helicopter and I get loaded onto a backboard, get thrown in a helicopter. And I actually leave this incredible live exercise in a helicopter headed to the hospital. And I can remember before we landed, I said, first time ever in a helicopter, first time ever doing anything like this. And I'm like, can you guys unstrap me? And they're like, we want to keep you strapped in. It's part of the exercise. And I was like, I know, but I have to see out of the windows. And so they were awesome. They all the straps off. I sat up, got to see out the windows as we're flying back into town and kind of a Passover of the airport and the hospital and then laid back down, strapped me down so we could get to the airport and continue on. So just incredible. These are the kinds of things that drive me now in my professional life. When I'm doing exercises, when I'm working with firefighters and trying to make it seem realistic and interagency training, I think back to that course and those people and the great job that they did that kind of drive this forward. So from there, you get into high school, high school, you're busy, you're trying to get good grades, you're hanging out with your friends and doing all of that stuff. But I got to add that somewhere in there, right? junior high, going to high school, February 8th, 1986, the CN Hinton Rail disaster happened. My whole family on my mother's side are all trained people. They all work for CN. They all have different jobs in the, in the company. I can actually remember we were, we go into the city every weekend, visit my grandparents and we're sitting there and it's first thing in the morning. I want to say eight, eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. My grandpa was the coolest guy. He worked in a in a tall CN building in Edmonton, and he had this great job where he was, you know, well respected and people loved him. We got to go to his office and look down onto the rail yard in downtown Edmonton, and he's like the first guy I ever knew to have a computer. He was the first guy I ever knew that had a modem and could dial up and and all these cool stuff. 
And so we really looked up to this guy and just a champion in every way. He gets this phone call and his face, I could close my eyes right now and think of his face, the anguish, the turmoil, the, the fear. I'd never seen it before. I had really no idea at the time what it was. Right away, a tear is coming down the side corner of his eye and, and he's, you can tell he's all business, but he's choked up and it's trained stuff. You don't have to be a genius to figure out that there's some trained stuff going on. He hangs up the phone packs up his computer that my brother and I were playing on, tells my grandma to help him pack a bag and he's gone. We don't see him for like two weeks. And so he had to leave, headed down to his office. And then I'm sure went out to the site. Uh, We never did talk about it ever in our entire lives. He never filled me in on what he saw or what he had to do or anything about it really. But I was reading yesterday, 23 people killed freight train versus via rail passenger train in this really hard to get to spot just something that should have never happened and so there he is right in the middle of it uh, impacted our whole family impacted me again at that vulnerable age those teenage years where you're looking up to somebody and and you could just really see that whatever happened just crushed them right so I'm sure that the people that had to go to that from the emergency response side live with that horror to this day having to help out with that so so that was all through high school and junior high had these things impacting my life pushing me in a direction not knowing it was pushing me but pushing me just the same you know get out of high school so it's 1991 I'm I'm out of high school I don't know what I'm gonna do I'm living with some folks not I'm not at home with my family anymore I'm I'm out in the working out in the oil patch doing my thing and one weekend I get to go to this big party this friends of mine they're having their parents are having their 25th anniversary it's like, come on out so we get out there and you know we just do what 18 year old kids do we're having a few drinks having some fun checking it all out and there was this one guy my friend's uncle ken skull you'll get to meet him throughout this podcast he's definitely a mentor guy I look up to in every single way and I remember talking to him and we were talking about the fire department and how cool it was and what he did and amongst a thousand other things. And so in that story, I must've made some kind of impact because I don't remember any of this until later, but later on that next week, it's Tuesday night, which is fire practice night in our small town. And I get a phone call at the place I'm staying and, and the place I'm staying, they're really good friends with Ken. So it's no surprise that they're, Oh, Hey Ken, what's going on? And they're chatting and we're all eating supper. And all of a sudden after like a 10 minute phone conversation, they're like, Oh, Jamie, it's for you. And I was like, how could it be for me? The phone conversation has been going on for 10 minutes. It can't be for me. And it's Ken. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Ken. What's going on? You know, he says, I'll pick you up in 10 minutes. I was like, yeah, okay. Sounds good. I'm I'm ready. I'll I'll be uh, downstairs in 10 minutes. And I hang up and it dawns on me. What am I going to do? I have no idea. So I asked Claire, the the lady I'm staying with, and she said, "Uh, I, I don't know. I think fire practice. I thought he said something about he's picking you up for fire practice. And so got my boots on and went outside and there's Ken in the car and waves me over. And I said, uh, yeah, man, like I'm down for whatever, but I'm just curious, like, what are we going to do? And he kind of laughs and, and says, well, it's fire practice on the weekend. You told me you wanted to be a firefighter. So I got you a tryout. Like you're, you're coming down. Sounds good, right? I'm in. I jump in the car. I'm all pumped and head down there. I can remember Jim Meldrum and Les Price, these guys, where all these young guys were sitting in there and it's our first night. Jim and I actually continued on our careers like right through. Jim's still fighting in Slave Lake and I've moved on now, but we started those careers and started that path together. 
not only was it kind of a tryout, but basically by the end of the night, I had gear, I had a pager, I had a bit of a five minute spiel on what I'm supposed to do when the pager goes off and what that looks like. And so on that night, and again, that's 30 years ago, right? So I become a firefighter. If the pager goes off, I'm going to the call, I'm doing the thing and I'm a firefighter. I'm part of the family. And so for me, when I talk about growing up fire, it started with those stories with my grandparents and it's moved on through elementary school, junior high, high school, all the way through all of these little things impacting me without me kind of realizing it. And now I'm a volunteer firefighter and I cannot tell you, I I don't know what they said that night. I don't know. It was a big meeting. We voted on stuff. We were talking about moving to a new fire hall and it was an exciting time. But I remember just sitting there thinking, I got to get this stupid smile off my face because I must look like an idiot sitting over here. All these guys talking about important stuff and all these firefighters in the community. And I'm just sitting here grinning. Couldn't believe it. So moved on from there. Got to stay with Slave Lake for almost 30 years. Moved up all the way through the ranks up to fire chief and uh, was just some of the greatest, most amazing times. Met some of the best friends that I have in the world to this day. Our families grew up together. Our kids grew up together. We went through all the heartaches, firefighters passing away, family members passing away, all of the bad stuff, all of the good stuff. And so to me, every time someone says, well, I don't get it growing up fire, like what's it going to be about? And I can just say like those of you that know No, you get it. You're already starting to get it just a little way into this first podcast that we're a family. It's a thing we do together. I don't think you could do it alone. I think you have to have the support network. I think you have to have the people. I think that it's one of the most important things. So I'm on this awesome fire department. I'm surrounded by all these cool guys. Um, Definitely the youngest guy in the room by far, just uh, turned 18 a few months before. It was the first opportunity to get on the fire department. So we're just loving it. And here I am with all these guys, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. You got to find a way to make your mark, right? I mean, some of these guys at that time already, 20, 25 years on the fire department back in the day when it was, it was tough sledding. They, you know, we were doing 50 house fires a year, probably. We were doing car accidents when there was hardly even tools. We were using the old Kinman tool, the electrical over hydraulic Kinman tool and hand tools to get people out, you know, some some rugged primitive firefighting and rescue techniques, but we're getting it done. We had these two cool old fire trucks and we had this hand-me-down rescue truck that you had to move out of the way to get the fire trucks when we pulled out. And then probably, I don't know, within like three months, we moved into this new great big crazy. So a car wash had closed down and, and we, the town bought it for us and we turned it into this fire hall. This amazing fire hall, five times as big as our old fire hall, a big yard right in the industrial area so we could make some noise and, and do some training. And, and it was, yeah, it was the coolest of times, right? So we got to go on on so many amazing calls where we got to help so much. We got to go on. I can remember, I think it was probably only two weeks into the job. It turned out to be a pretty sad call, but we get called out to the Swan Hills Highway, this windy, treacherous road out where we live. And we're out there and as you're driving out there, you get kind of limited information. You have to remember that dispatch was pretty problematic back then. There wasn't 911, so it had to come through backdoor police numbers, backdoor ambulance numbers or fire numbers. And so we start to get this limited information that we're going to this two-car accident. There's kids involved. There's CPR in progress. Kind of the worst of the worst type calls. And uh, I'm like two weeks into it, right? I, I don't even know what all of the gear does yet. We really didn't have 
we didn't have any training back then. Here's your pager. Here's your gear. Here's your locker. Come when you're called. We get out there and it's, it's a mess. They're true to their word. There's some CPR in progress. A dad with two young kids. There's another person hurt seriously in the other vehicle. Luckily, there was a doctor on scene. There were some nurses, some other people helping us out. We get the person loaded into the ambulance. One kid goes in one ambulance. The other one comes in the front and sits by me. And I'm told two weeks into the job, 18 years old, hey, you got to drive the ambulance while we work this guy in the back. And so we're flying back to town. I don't know how to drive an ambulance. Flick the lights on, hit the sirens, and we're gone. It's probably about a 50, 60-minute drive. And the whole time, I can just close my eyes and see it right now, this young kid sitting there staring at me, holding their arm because they had a broken arm, and they're they're just staring at me, right? And in the back, it's like one and two and three and, you know, the whole CPR thing. And you could hear every word that every firefighter and every paramedic said in the back. So I know that it's imminent and problematic and I got to get going. So I'm driving like a, a madman in an ambulance I'd never driven before doing something I'd never done before. And this kid staring at me the whole time, never said a word. I never said a word to the kid. The kid never said a word to me the entire trip pulled into the ambulance bay stopped. And uh, of course they pulled the person out of the back and I, I could tell, I mean, I'm only 18, but I still know at that time that that person's not coming back. Everybody rushes out with that patient and it's just me and the kid sitting there now in the front of the ambulance. And so get this little weak voice that says, is my dad going to be okay? Just let that sink in for a second, because I think that most firefighters, ambulance, military police, the list goes on and on, people helping out with these things, have heard that or thought it or seen it. And that was another big piece of me growing up fire. I could tell you that day that I turned from this regular 18-year-old kid to something else. I don't know what that was. I still to this day don't know what it is, but I definitely turned into something else. So again, not knowing what to do, took the kid out, took him into the hospital, kind of wished him luck and made sure they were taken care of and went back outside. And back in those days, we didn't really have debriefs. We didn't, there was no... All the things that we have today that help with your mental health are not there. We just, uh, fire truck rolled up, picked us up, and we went back to the fire hall, cleaned up our mess, and everybody went home. I could see, I think it was a week later, two weeks later, and I was at fire practice, and we just kind of finished a motor vehicle accident training session, and of course talked about that accident a lot in that session. And I got to my locker, and I was had my hand on my coat, and I'm just staring at my coat, my helmet, and... I think deciding if I should just quit, I think it was a bit much and, and didn't know. And obviously one of the captains, Captain Bellreve, he come over, noticed right away and said, uh, Jamie, what's going on? I'm a loud, outgoing, try to be funny, hang out with everybody kind of guy. And that day I'd been very, I could tell I'd been very internal that night. And so I just said, well, you know, I was thinking about the car accident. And so I kind of told him what it was like in the front of the ambulance and, He's like, man, you know, so long since I started, I, you don't even think of it, right? And uh, he the, he was the guy that had told me, you got to do this. And and uh, he said, you know, like, I got to apologize. It's not, you don't think of it. You're handing out jobs. It's important. Everybody has, you know, I needed the other guys on the scene or in the back doing what they do. And with your limited new skill set, I figured, well, the, the guy can drive. <laughs> so, you know, we sat there for half an hour and we talked about it and talked it through. And 
And he told me that's something that night that's kind of been with me. And I've said to thousands of firefighters since then, and it's true to this day, right? It's uh, we didn't cause the accident, right? So we go there, we do the best we can with the people and equipment that we have. And then you got to find a way in your life to, to let it go. And so that morphs and changes and turns into all kinds of sayings over the years, but that that's what it is. And so that's part of my growing up fire process. Got to talk to, to this captain that took a minute out, saw something was wrong and took a minute out and helped me out. Uh, I mean, today there'd be debriefs, there'd be forms to fill out there. We'd be checking on each other. It's just a completely different world today in most places. And if it's not in your place, you need to work towards that. And so this great fire family taking care of me and, and moving me through. Not all the calls are bad. We had, we had lots of fun times. We had lots of sad times. Obviously a never ending body count that nobody wants to think about or talk about. The public likes to talk about us being out there sitting in recliners waiting for the call. Just a bunch of guys that drink a beer from time to time and have barbecues. Those that know, know that that's not how it is. And you got to have those up times to be able to deal with the down times. And it's just how it goes. So, you know, got through. I, I just kept going as a volunteer firefighter, hit the nozzle, you know, hit the fire hard lots of times. Got to go through finally. Did like driving and kind of came back to that. Got to be pump operator. A good one, I guess, by most accounts. And I uh, got to run the pump at a young age to lots of fires when people were counting on me. Big apartment building fires, house fires. Trailer fires, the whole works, got to fire up the siren and the lights and go through traffic. And to put that kind of trust and care in a young 20-something firefighter at that time, it, it meant a lot to me and, and helped me progress as a firefighter. So got to go through, eventually got to a point where being a volunteer was good and fun and exciting, but uh, it always my other job got in the way. And so, you know, I could see at a young age that being a firefighter was better than a real job. And, and I didn't want a real job. I wanted to have this exciting, cool, awesome firefighting job. And so started to work towards that. I uh, got to do some fire prevention stuff for a couple of years, went to the Alberta Fire Training School for a year. That was exciting. Everything there measured in a week at a time. So we got to... Uh, Go to these cool places, Syncrude, Canada, up in Fort McMurray to the oil sands and help train firefighters and got to go south down to Vulcan, east, west, got to kind of go all over the place. It was an awesome job. Worked there for 42 weeks, loved it, uh, did all kinds of good stuff. And then an opportunity opens up back in Slave Lake. Hey, you want to be the deputy fire chief? So pretty cool stuff for me. I got to go from firefighter to fire prevention to instructor. And then I don't know how I kind of jumped over all the other jobs, all the officer positions to deputy chief. I was pretty young. I think it came back as around 31 years old, deputy chief of this thriving fire service. And at that time we had just regionalized. So we were now the lesser slave regional fire service, not just our town of Slave Lake. And so cool times. I mean, I'll tell you, I sure could have used some leadership training. I sure could have used some mentorship. I sure could have used some courses, some education in leadership. But, you know, just did the old fashioned way, trial by fire. Just kept my growing up fire process going and learned how to be an okay deputy fire chief. Uh, had to be acting a few times as different things happened. And then finally in 2010, got this chance of a lifetime to be the fire chief in the Lesser Slave Regional Fire Service. 
you know, 10,000 square kilometers, 125 firefighters, four fire halls at that time, and just a world of potential. Things were happening. Things were changing. We're, we're moving in certain directions. Talked it over with my family. It was a good life for my kids. I was able to go to a lot of the school things. I was able to be a part of their life. I was Monday to Friday type job, although firefighting is 24 hours a day. 365 days a year, I was able to coach hockey on the weekends and and help out and do all the other things that I wanted to do to help the community and my family, not just my fire department family. So I took the job. It was awesome. Didn't quite get a year in. And May 2011, the Slave Lake fire happens. And so one of the biggest disasters in Canadian history Definitely one of the more costly ones. 35% of the community burns down in a wildfire. 45 houses out in the region burn down. And it's just this chaos, right? My house doesn't burn down, but close to me, my niece's house, my sister-in-law's house. My father-in-law loses a couple of his rental places. 14 firefighters are impacted with either damaged or burnt down houses. And it's just this crazy event that brings the fire world together. It really did. It brought us all together. Didn't matter if it was career, part-time, volunteer. Didn't matter if you were the fire chief or a brand new firefighter. If you were there on site, 1,500 of us rotating shifts and and fighting the good fight, it brought us together. And, And it was just this amazing, crazy, scary, terrible time that so many people lost so much. Now, we didn't lose any people in the actual first fire later on in the first week we did lose a a helicopter pilot i'll do a whole podcast about the fire later on can hear all about it but uh, jean-luc dubois we lost him that day that's another one of those turning points so when you're growing up fire every one of these things impacts you in different ways and and helps you grow and change and move and and helps hundreds in this case thousands of others do the same thing So you just imagine how the world flips upside down after something like that happens. You know, the budgets are crazy. The staffing's crazy. We had a fire hall, search and rescue comes on board. We have all these additions and changes. You know, it's crazy every day. Christmas every day, we called it for months where new equipment's coming in to replace all our burnt gear and wrecked hoses and fittings and new trucks. We got a bunch of new trucks and changes. So we're kind of cruising away with that over the next few years, get to bring my son into the fold and and start working with him pretty steady. And then uh, 2013, the Southern floods, Southern Alberta floods happen. We get the call up after a few days, we're headed to Siksika First Nation, just outside of Strathmore, Alberta, a couple hours away from Calgary. And we get down there with some of our search and rescue assets, our water rescue team and, and our firefighters. It's just the worst of the worst. There's flooded houses everywhere. People are displaced. There's communities all along the river, Bow River, that are flooded right from Calgary all the way through to these small communities in First Nations. And so we get put right to the Siksika Fire Hall. The people there treated us amazing. We got to help them out in so many ways. We got to bring some of our specialty, right? Maybe some of our helicopter work and, and our way of thinking our way of doing things without all the support that some fire departments get. We're very John Wayne type fire department. You have to get everything done and figure it out. So, you know, it's nice to be down there and be working with uh, First Nation folks there. 
you know, I think it's the first helicopter that a lot of them had seen at the nation. I remember that day we had to actually even set up crowd control and keep the kids back and got to take some of the council up and kind of show them the devastation from the air. So that was interesting times from there. We got redeployed to High River, which had been just decimated. The entire town was underwater and they were still, when we got there, still using boats in some areas, whole roads and buildings washed away, washed out, houses washed upside down. I don't know, the craziest at times. And so got to be part of that. And so again, just part of this whole process, growing up fire, what's it like? It, it's not just fires and car accidents and death and destruction. It's it's working with people, figuring stuff out and getting through the day. Get through all that stuff. The next couple of years, we had kind of train derailments right in town and, and all through our district. We had some more wildfire flare-ups in the high level area. And then kind of all the way to 2016. So by 2016, we had a first of its kind fire smart crew in the country. Our trucks had been changed out. Our process had been changed. I could basically say that everything in our sphere of influence with the fire department had changed. We're no longer this small island of people that kind of did whatever we wanted and thought we were the greatest. We were opened up to the big world of firefighting and, and what's going on. It was kind of the first time that I really started using the terminology ego, turf, time, and money at different disasters that we went to. And so we started to talk about how do we break down the turf wars? How do we overcome these huge egos that are in the emergency services world? How do we work with the time that we're given and the money that's allotted to the, to the incidents? And so there were so many good things that happened in Fort McMurray. Again, nobody died. The evacuation was messy, but it got done. The firefighting was messy, but it got done. Firefighters from across Western Canada flooded down there, of course, all over Alberta. And were just so many things that went well. In any disaster, there's going to be things that don't. I'm not going to harp on that. I'm just going to talk about the positives. And there was, there was just so many positives that came out of that, that propelled us forward as a fire service, propelled me forward as a person. Growing up, fire just continued. So many interesting people, so many characters, so so many, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly that as we went through. I could tell you that to this day, when I think about some of the, the best people in my life, a lot of them come from my experience with the fire department. They might not be firefighters. They could be from any walk of life, but they come from my experience at the fire department. A lot will also come from hockey. My kids both played hockey and got to coach and be the trainer and all those things. And same thing, just another team sport, right? Firefighting and hockey. And we just got to cruise through and, and see so many people. We got to do a cool thing. Got to do a TV show with uh, Discovery Canada called Hellfire Heroes. We'll do some podcasting about that, what it, what that was like and what those people were like to deal with. After the fire, 2011, the floods, 2013, the fire again in 2016, Fort McMurray, got to just talk across Canada. So you can imagine I'm a small town guy. I think there's 7,000 people live in our town, maybe 10 or 12,000 people in our region. Here I am at uh, in the city of Toronto, talking to 1,200 people at the Ontario Fire Chiefs Conference. And the fire chief for the city of Toronto sitting in the front row. You know, so it was the scariest of times, but also the most exciting to get out there and share the story and to be part of it, to talk it all through. Just a little side note, which is always kind of funny when I tell that part. The fire chief from Toronto actually fell asleep during my talk, but his wife really enjoyed it. And not all the best parts, she elbowed him and woke him up. And so he didn't miss too much. Tough job, I think, running that big of a fire service. 
So yeah, I got to go. I mean, all across. I went. I've uh, been in Nova Scotia, PEI, New Brunswick. I had to do some multiple talks in Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, BC. Got to go up to the Yukon and do some talks there. And so there's a few territories and provinces I didn't get to, but all in all, just excellent reception. Really open all these emergency responders to the to the lessons learned and the things that were going. Right. And to me, it was always important that we got out and we talked about these things. It didn't go perfect. There was mistakes made. There was things that happened, you know, that are hard to share, but you share them and you get it out there because if we don't share that stuff and we don't learn from it and move it forward, we kind of take it from that lessons observed and we got to move it over to the lessons learned and lessons learned means you've actually done something with it. You've changed something. You've physically changed a mindset, changed equipment, changed trucks, whatever it takes. And I think there's just too much still in this fire world of us. There's lessons observed all the time, but we don't learn from them and we keep marching forward. So we'll talk about that as we go through. All right. So we got to do all these crazy things. We got to be on TV. We got to hang out with all of those folks. We got to go to all these big, crazy fires. We got to work with the people at Forestry. We got to work with the ambulance folks, the RCMP. Just so many different town, MD, county staff across the country. And it just became this wonderful job. And to this day, I still will say it for me, it was always better than a real job. I was not going to be the nine to fiver. I was not going to wear a suit to work and sit on a wheelie chair and talk on the phone and tell people what to do. Just not who I was, not how I was built. Tons of those people have made great firefighters, both volunteer and career over time. For me, from an early age, I knew the town I'm from, you're basically going to be an oil patch person, work in the forest industry. Or you're going to be some kind of office administrative type worker. And so I'm, I'm happy I got into the oil patch. I got into some safety and, and then got into the firefighting full time. And my family, I could tell you, my family grew up fire. Growing up fire is my son being two, three years old down there with the hose at the fire hall, washing off the trucks, helping us learn about it. It's my daughter coming down there begrudgingly, you know, as a kid and, and, having fun there once she got there you know it's both my kids helping out at the slave lake fire uh, my son and i being in my opinion equals at the fort mcmurray fire both leading teams of people doing crazy unthinkable things and so now to the point where so i finally leave slave lake and get into the consulting world and and i'm out there helping other fire departments learn how to do it and who's beside me my wife who's a hr health and safety specialist and she's working with fire departments on that side of it and my daughter's in school taking emergency management and my son is a lieutenant in slave lake and working his way up through the ranks and so in our family growing up fire was a thing i was having lunch with my daughter the other day and she was like at no time in my life did i ever accept the fact that i would be on a fire department or in the emergency world whatsoever and uh, here she is 21 years old in school texting me calling me every day asking questions to help out with her assignments and to to try and understand what's going on in her her new school work as emergency management. My wife, I think she was the, the chief's wife, right? So she had to come down there and help me cook and clean up and had to put up with me being gone and complaining about stuff and probably not talking about as much stuff as I should have. And I think she would tell you to this day that she wasn't going to be any part of anything in the fire world. And yet 
boom, guess what? There she is. She's helping out firefighters and giving them ideas and talking about all this HR and health and safety stuff and uh, just really getting into it. So growing up fire, it's an adventure. It's not just for me. It's not just for us. It's for every single person out there that that wants to learn more about what we do, learn more about the process. I get in my social media following, I get on a weekly basis. I'd really like to be a firefighter. I just don't know. And I tell people, look into it. It's a calling. It's an adventure. You, you got to do it. And I don't care how old you are. If your fire department needs you, get out there and, and learn the trade and do it. Not everyone has to do everything. There's a job for everyone. So I always felt like that. I always said that. I always meant it. I think there's room for us all to grow up in all of this. I think that uh, we got to work together and tough it out. And, you know, sometimes we got to talk about the tough stuff in this podcast. Sometimes we won't agree. We won't get to be that friendly on those days, but other times we'll agree wholeheartedly. That's a great part of growing up fire. We all get to have an opinion. We all get to talk about our opinion and we get to learn things together and, and move things forward. And so for me, just really looking forward to share this adventure with you, share Growing Up Fire. I'm going to be out there talking to firefighters, talking to some of the greatest firefighting families I know, and uh, sharing some of these cool characters and people that I've met throughout my life with you, the listener. So keep listening, have fun, stay safe. I can't wait to talk to you again. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.